So this week we will do um, Romans 2, 1 through 8, or 1 through 3, 8. And um, as I mentioned last week, every week, I'm just going to ask how the homework went and whether you have any insights that you want to share from from that from that homework if there was anything that stood out to you or anything like that just in those couple of verses you had the wrath and the disappointment but you also had the glory the forgiveness and salvation and mm-hmm. all there yeah the whole thing the 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 sin the wrath and then the forgiveness and salvation were all all in that passage. So bef- before we jump in, um, just to give a little bit of background, 2,000 years ago, the church in Rome was made up of both Jewish and non-Jewish believers. And Rome was 1,400 miles away from Jerusalem, just straight line, like not even travel-wise. To travel by land was just under 2,500 miles. To to travel by sea, they could sail through the Mediterranean Sea, uh, which would be between 1,400 and 2,500 miles, depending on time of year. It had to be different. Um, Still a long trip, and they could have only sailed in the spring and summer because the Mediterranean Conditions in the Mediterranean were considered risky in the fall and outright dangerous. That was the phrase that was used in the winter. Um, So depending on the weather and the ship, the trip would take at least a month, but that's assuming they didn't really stop very often, which would not have been a common way to travel at the time. And so, so when you think about the Roman church, we have to remember they were very far away from everything else that was happening. Um, but there, there were both, both Jews and Gentiles in that church. And the Jewish people at that time, um, they knew that they were the, the chosen people. They knew that they had been set apart. Um, the, the term... Jew or Israelite would not have just been geography. It wouldn't have just been you were from the area of Judah. It was, um, it, it was truly if your parents were Jewish, then so were you. This was not just because of circumcision, although that was an outward symbol that you were Jewish. It, it truly was you were just born into it. Um, But they knew that they were a chosen people, that they were chosen by God to be his people through the covenant that would be uh, the Abrahamic covenant and through the law. And they thought they were superior because of this. This, They really, it really was a level of, of racism for them. If you remember when we talked about Ruth last year, now she was a Moabite, and that was even lower than the regular Gentile, right? They were, they were enemies of the Jewish people. But when we talked about 
Ruth, we talked about how she was, she, just because she was a foreigner, just because she was an outsider, just because she was not Jewish, that she was automatically judged differently, treated differently, uh, everything was handled differently. They would have been considered unclean with the Jewish culture and religion. And and their, the Jewish practice would have said, we. We need to steer clear of these Gentiles. Um, this, was, this was the typical way of thinking. And as we look back today on that past, we can clearly see that this thinking was not a positive thing for them. So last week, we looked at the unrighteousness of the Gentiles. If you remember, we listed off all those sins that were committed by these ungodly and unrighteous men um, and and women, because it did specifically talk about women as well. Does anyone remember any of those sins that we discussed last week? Uh, well, not last week, but maliciousness. Maliciousness, yeah. Yeah, any of them, look back in verses, where'd it go? 29, yeah, homosexuality, 29 and following, envy, greed, murder, deceit, gossip, fornication, gossip, fornication, feeble-mindedness, evil-mindedness. And unrighteousness. Un- unrighteousness. My favorite was disobedient to their parents. So, <laughs> you know, but you had this whole list, right? And if and if you write out the list, which which I I did last week just for, for myself to see it, um, the list was a good half page long of all those words. There were twenty something of them that were that were listed. And what was it that God did to them because of these choices? What was that phrase we we used last week? God gave them up. That was that was that phrase. He gave them up to their sins. He allowed them to suffer the consequences of their actions. He and and that word um, gave them up to uh, to a debased mind. That worthless. That useless. That throwaway part. He was, he was basically saying, you're, this is, you're, it's pointless. Um, now, the Jewish believers in Rome get this letter and they start reading this letter from Paul. And they would have been extremely pleased to see all these things that the Gentiles are, are doing wrong. It was just one more way that the Jews would see that they were better than their Gentile counterparts. Because Paul was condemning the Gentiles, the the ungodly, for their sins. And you can almost hear them cheering and see them smiling as as this list of sins is being read. And about God's wrath being upon these people. And then we get to this week's passage. And here we see that Paul is going to take advantage of that judgmental attitude of the Jewish people in order to prove their guilt as well. So our who is the Jews this time, if you're wanting to fill that in on your paper. Um, 
Warren Wiersbe says they, this is the Jews, thought that they were free from judgment because they were God's chosen people. But Paul affirmed that God's election of the Jews made their responsibility and accountability even greater. Now, it was not easy for me to get excited about the passage this week. It was more about sin and about how we deserved the wrath and, and judgment. And then I read um, the Christ-Centered Expository Commentary on Romans. That was by Tony Merida. And I was excited to look at this passage differently. So even though a lot of this as we start is going to sound like really, ugh, again, more, um, bear with me because we're going to get to that other part. And I think, I think you might, I hope you might be as interested as I was in, in looking at it from a different perspective. But we're going to start with looking at the Jews and then we're going to relook at the section and see what we learn about God. So um, Romans 2, 1 through 16. So, because in my Bible it says Romans is Paul's greatest work. It's been called the Christian Manifesto. And it says it's even um, the constitution of Christianity. Yeah. Yeah, they probably, it, it 
probably would not be argued by many, at least, that it would be Paul's greatest work. Um, but if you, if you remember what we talked about last week with that very first word of chapter 2, there's therefore. It's that connecting phrase. And so he's going back, he's saying, therefore, all those things the Gentiles have done, you have no excuse. Um, by condemning the Gentiles, the Jews are in reality condemning themselves. And this is, this is kind of that he says, you have no excuse, oh man. Um, was, Sarah, was it you I gave to Romans one twenty? So the Gentiles are without excuse, and now Paul is using that same language in his condemnation of the Jews. He's, he's pointing out that the Gentiles may be unrighteous, but the Jews are self-righteous, which is not any better. But then we have to think about the why is Paul doing this? And he's, he's writing this because he wants the Jews to see that they are self-righteous so that they will humble themselves and cry out to God in mercy. It is not the, uh, Warren Wiersbe says, it is not the judgment of God that leads men to repentance, but the goodness of God. But Israel did not repent. So we see all these things, the Jews, all these ways that the Jews are wrong, but, um, but we can also learn about, oh no, wait, that's not in the right place. Skip on. <laughs> um, when we get to verse 6, it, um, it says he will render to each one according to his works. This is not, just want to take a moment to clarify, this is not Paul teaching salvation by character or by works. Um, this is one of those passages that we must consider in context, the context of the verses that are surrounding it, the, the book of Romans itself, but also the whole Bible. Um, when we look at it that way, we see that, that Paul is saying that God judges by, by truth, but also by our deeds. Um, we were talking with our kids last night. It's funny how it's, it's sort of come up um, through our... our um, catechism part that we're doing with the kids but it was about judgment and about how there is the judgment of heaven is by salvation in Christ and then the judgment of what you not not levels in heaven but kind of what you receive in heaven is in is in your works and so there's there's two aspects to judgment um and that's in I believe it's Ephesians 5. I know it's Ephesians. I'm pretty sure it's Ephesians 5. But, but if you think about it, um, he's, he's looking at the consistent actions, the, the overall conduct of, of the people. So think about King David. King David was known as a man after God's own heart. God's own heart. 
His overall character was that of a good and God-honoring man. Yet David lied, David cheated, David stole, David murdered. He still sinned. But the overall emphasis of his life was obedience. And so Paul is looking at the overall character, the general daily life of the Jewish people. And in general, they were disobedient to God, despite the fact that they still celebrated the feasts, despite the fact that they honored the Sabbath and, and, and followed those things. They had been blessed by God in great ways, but that blessing did not lead them to repentance. And then, and then verse 11 comes up it says for God shows no partiality this would have rocked their world they were God's chosen people right but Paul is telling them you're going to be treated just the same as these Gentiles that you look down on there's no special treatment for you and so this is the point where I want us to to pause and I've, I, I wrote it as a handout, which I don't do very often, but I wanted us to, to take a minute or a few minutes and look at not just the Jews, but we're going to look at God's judgment. These, um, these 11 things came out. I need my copy so that I don't lose my place. Um, these 11 things came from what um, uh, Tony Merida wrote in the in the Christ-Centered Expository Commentary, um, but I really appreciated looking at it from the point of view of God's judgment and what I can learn about God, as opposed to just the negative about about the Jews. So, I'm not normally a fill-in-the-blanks kind of person, but this kind of warranted the blanks. Um, if you would prefer, I think it's page 52 in yours that says, uh, what did you learn about sin, wrath, and the judgments of God? And this, you can, you can either put this handout right next to that. You can rewrite it there on that page if you want, whatever you want. Um, but this is, this is partially answering that question right there. So, um, so let's take a look at what, uh, what we see about God's judgment and some truths about God that we can hold on to in this, in this passage. Um, the, the first one is God's judgment. Uh, God's judgment is always just and based on truth. And, and the little number in parentheses is what verse it would have come from. So, Knowing that God's judgment is always just, that he is the perfect judge, helps us know that when we are receiving punishment or, and what we deserve from God is a just punishment. Um, the... Number two is there are, there are no exceptions. God's judgment allows for no 
exceptions. You know, human nature gravitates to this defense. Um, if there were, but if there were exceptions, why would we need, why would we need God, right? So Andrew, um, he came home, oh, maybe two weeks ago, and he was explaining that that he had taken his calculus test and he got his score and this is what it actually this is what the number actually showed but that the the teacher was going to be grading grading on a curve and so he starts explaining to me what grading on a curve is and I'm like son I've, I I know what a curve is <laughs> like uh, but it was it was the the teacher making exceptions a lot of people missed the same question in the same way and so he, the teacher decided I either didn't, didn't word the question well, or I didn't teach it well. And so I can't count that against them. I can't hold that against them. I'm going to make an exception for this question and just rule it out. And then, and then there were some other things that, you know, the top grade gets a hundred percent and all that, you know, those were exceptions but God doesn't grade on a curve. For God and in his judgment, there are no exceptions. Um, and that's in verse, uh, verse three, that if you practice these things, do you think you really think you'll ex escape judgment? Um, it's one of those things too, I would never I would never feel like I could say that I could judge that better than God. Like if he says not to do it, then why would I think, oh, well, I know better than God and it's, it'll be, he'll, he'll excuse this. Like, why would I know better than that? It's called rationalization leading to a logical conclusion is still wrong. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I don't know if I can. <laughs> it's rationalization leading to a logical conclusion is still wrong. Yeah. Then, then we see um, number three. I see. I didn't number them in my notes. I should have. Um, it's God's judgment means you should not presume his kindness, but turn to him in repentance. The reality of God's kindness is such that he makes us aware of our sins and our responsibility to repent. And then as we've seen over and over, uh, both last week and this week, God's judgment will result in great wrath. When we aren't repentant, we, when we don't have that, that substitutionary atonement, that's your big word for the week, where Jesus steps in our place, we deserve and his judgment will result in great wrath. Uh, number five, God's judgment is based on what we have really been, sought, 
and done. God's judgment is based on what we have really been, sought, and done. God doesn't need a, a, to keep a list. He knows. And God knows about each and every one of us. He doesn't have to work to remember. It's, it's a reality for him. Uh, if you're interested, Psalm 62.12, we're not going to read them right now, but Psalm 62.12 and Proverbs 24, 12 also um, talk about the same thing. Uh, number six, God's judgment has eternal consequences. This is, this is eternal life in heaven versus eternal wrath and anger. That, that's what we're facing. Number seven, God's judgment is pronounced individually. There are no free passes because of a family member. Uh, if you look at it, it's verse six says he will render to each one. Verse nine says um, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. And then verse 10 is, is uh, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. It is individual, not based on the group of people you're with, not based on the, um, who your parents are, not based on your Jewishness is what he's trying to, to tell them. And then... Um, Number eight, God's judgment is without partiality. God does not play favorites. Uh, the Jews thought they deserved special treatment, but they don't. And so if you think about your kids, think, think about the way that you had to, um, you had to, Punishment was the easiest one for me to think of, right? For Andrew, the worst possible punishment for him when he was younger was a timeout where he had to physically leave the room and go sit on the steps and he had to wait without us standing there, without us being in the room with him. It was terrible for him. <laughs> that, that was enough. Catherine, oh man, she could care less about having to go sit in timeout. She would just... Yeah, so we would have to take away toys. At one point, she was such a shoe diva that we had to actually, we would just take away shoes out of her room. And that was like, that was the end of it for her. And then Abby, Abby at that age, we would just give her a look and she would just break down. If we even tried to send her to a timeout, it would have been traumatic for her. Um, but we would get the response we wanted just by looking at her. These punishments were very different. And if you were, if you were an outsider looking in on us, you would, you know, just seeing, like if we just wrote it out, you'd be like, well, Abby is obviously your favorite. 
right? <laughs> These punishments were very different, but were completely fair for our children because they were the, serving the purpose we needed to serve. It looked like we were playing favorites, but in reality, we were still punishing her and we were still calling out her behavior. It may look like God sometimes is showing favoritism. He's not. I mean, there's no question. It says, for God shows no partiality. No question that he is completely fair in his punishments and in his judgment. Um, Number, what are we on? Number nine. God's judgment is for everyone, regardless of how they have received the law. And that's one of those things we talked about last week, that they were still, um, they were still responsible for their actions, even though they didn't have the law. But, but with or without the law, we are all condemned without Christ. It is not about possession of this, but it's about our response to God. Um, Number 10. God's judgment reaches to the secrets of our hearts. And I... I've left it worded that way because that's the way the ESV says it. Um, Hebrews 4.12. Did I pass that to somebody? You did, and I can't get it. Oops, wrong direction. Okay, thank you. So that secrets, secrets of our hearts, that's what it's talking about, is, is that innermost, our attitudes, our, those things. That's what God's judgment reaches. We can't hide anything from him. And so just like his word reaches those parts, God's judgment does as well. And then we get to the, to the, uh, the last one, God's judgments is in the hands of the Lord Jesus. It is an aspect of the gospel. God's judgment is part of the gospel message. Without knowing that we have a God who is righteous judge, we have no need for Jesus. So this is the part that stuck with me. It's not just that we are sinners in need of a savior. It's not just that we deserve God's wrath, but it's that God's judgment is perfect because of all these things. I can never be good enough to earn heaven. So I have truly earned God's wrath. 
and the, but there is a holy perfection in God's judgment that no human can ever hope to match. And then we'll go back to our, about the Jews. So uh, Romans 2, 17 through 29. So there were three, or and still are, three main pillars of Judaism. First is the covenant. That's Abraham, the patriarchs, Genesis 17. Um, the second is the law. Basically the, the Old Testament, but particularly the first five books that they called, called the Torah. And then there was circumcision. These are the things that, that set the Jews apart from the other nations. And Paul, in writing this, is, is not being anti-Jewish. If you remember, Paul was one who was Jew of the Jews, right? He was, he was trained in Judaism. He was, he was going to live out his life as a Pharisee. That was, that was what he was going to do. He knows these things. He knows how he was prior to his conversion so this is an example of, of Paul speaking the truth in love. This is Paul basically telling them it is possible to be deeply religious and yet not be converted. He's flat out telling the Jews in Rome that they are not practicing what they preach and teach from the law. In, in, the, in Jewish culture, they would have, they would have been, received instruction on the law since childhood. And they would have known the law, and they would have known how to apply it to make moral judgments. Um, the, Tony Merida said, The Torah was meant to be a beacon of justice in an unjust world. 
Israel was to show the world what God was like. This was the reason they were set apart, to show God to the world. How are they doing on that? Not so good. Not so good. It's exactly right. Paul specifically mentions uh, verses, I wrote down 22 through 24. I think that's right. He mentions um, some, some particular sins. What were those particular sins? Adultery. Adultery. Idols. Idols. Yeah, robbing temples. Dishonoring God by breaking the law. Breaking the law. And I think there was stealing. Oh, 21 was stealing. So I didn't have the verses written down right. And so some of those sound familiar, right? Adultery would have been a, a sexual sin. And the Gentiles, he was very blatant with their sexual sins, right? Uh, idolatry, that was the big one we talked about last week, that, that it, a lot of our sins fall back on, onto idolatry. Um, the, the, the stealing, the, the, the uh, dishonoring God, those are all things that he was, he was dealing with, with the Gentiles first. So the Jews were cheering at Paul, calling out the Gentiles for these things. When they, he was calling them out for, their, for the homosexuality, when he was calling them out for exchanging God for images of created things, that idolatry. And yet here it is that Paul is calling them out on those same things. And then we see this discussion on circumcision. Circumcision was kind of like the, this is our thing, right? They, they claimed it. They were the only group that did it. Uh, it began in Genesis 17. It was the mark of the covenant with God and the nation of Israel. The Jews thought that circumcision itself brought the blessing of God and that being obedient and being circumcised was the key to God's blessing. Anyone that was uncircumcised was looked down upon as lesser beings, not even as humans, but even as called dogs in some places. But the Jews missed the point of circumcision entirely. Circumcision was a sign, not a magic charm of protection. And here Paul is telling them that this sign is completely worthless without an inward reality. The Jews were dependent on the physical mark and not the spiritual reality it was supposed to represent. Uh, Pastor Matt preached on baptism and the Lord's Supper and, and, uh, a few weeks ago. And sometimes as Christians, we get this same feeling when it comes to baptism. Well, I was baptized, so I'm fine. Or, or I'm, a, I'm a church member, so I'm fine. Um, these are good things. These are things that are commanded in the Bible. But as, as Pastor Matt mentioned a couple of weeks ago, these are symbols, not salvation. And so God is not impressed with the outward formalities unless the inward reality matches it. 
this is this is why we at Mount Calvary Church push what's known as believer's baptism instead of infant baptism that that it's a decision that's made after you have made uh, to, the decision to be baptized is made after you have made the decision to follow Jesus. Uh, and so, so Paul, Paul is saying this about circumcision. Number one, we're women. Circumcision doesn't affect us. But <laughs> just, you know, that's the reality of, of biology, right? But... But sometimes we can look at circumcision as being something so distant because it is Jewish in particular. Um, but it's, it's the same thing if you wanted to go through and, and change this to say baptism. You could read that passage with the word baptism and have it hit you a little harder. Then, then we get to, to Romans chapter 3. And we're starting to, to make our way out of the you are terrible and you deserve wrath and judgment and we're starting to get to the okay but here's what you need to do instead um and so paul starts asking questions and in your your notebook page 53 we have that list of questions so some of you may have written them on here you may not have that's fine, but this is what we're looking at when I put this in. And again, this, these things are just meant as aids, not as requirements, but just something to, to have if you wanted to put them together. Paul starts asking questions and answering them. And so, in, um, yeah, starting in verse 1, what's the first question that Paul asks? Yeah, what, what advantage is there to being Jewish? What advantage does the Jew have? Um, and then Paul, Paul answers it, and, and he, he, it's basically, in Israel was entrusted with the promises of God, with the word of God. That's the advantage they have. Uh, the they were entrusted with the promises of God or the word of God. And then he goes on to ask um, in verse 3, um, and he's basically asking, does Jewish unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Or will Jewish unbelief cancel God's faithfulness. That's what he's asking. And then uh, Paul, Paul responds there in verse 4, by no means, absolutely not. I underlined mine in like neon pink where it says by no means because uh, he says that throughout Romans. But no, it doesn't cancel God's faithfulness. In fact, it establishes God's faithfulness. 
God's faithfulness is not contingent upon anyone's response. But God's faithfulness also does not mean that he's going to accept Israel whether they are right or wrong. And this is, this is part of why that list about God's judgment should bring us comfort. God is true and faithful no matter what. And God's judgment is true and faithful no matter what. And then we get to the third question uh, in verse 5 where it says, But if our unrighteousness serves to show... I don't think I had us actually read this, did I? I failed. Oh, well. Verse 5, you'll have to read it on your own. Verse 5, But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? He's saying, are we doing a favor? Are we doing God a favor by sinning? If our sin commands his righteousness, if our sin shows God's righteousness, how can he judge us? Are we doing a favor to God by sinning? And the answer is, by no means, right? Highlighted in neon pink again. Doing good by doing bad still requires God's perfect judgment to say that was wrong. Attempting to show God's glory by sinning is outrageous. It can never be justified. And we must remember that God is the just judge. He hates evil and we must too. Ladies, we are all sinners. We all deserve the wrath of God equally, and no one is worse off than anyone else because of their of worse sins. We've seen that. The Gentiles weren't worse off than than the um, than the Jews. But this is why we trust in God's judgment. This is why we see God as a holy and perfect and righteous judge. Now, as a side note, before we break into our small groups, um, the, I was going to do the themes by chapter and discovered that it's probably better to do it by section. So actually next week we'll talk about the theme for Romans 1, 1 through 3.20. So take some time this week. Think over what you would think would be kind of the overarching idea of the whole passage because we'll talk about that next week for that, for that whole chunk instead of just the, the chapter, um, chapter by chapter. So um, now we will break into our small groups. If you have a question of where your group should be, let me know and we will get you straightened out. Excuse me.